Welcome home. It's good to see all of you today. Thanks for coming today. Thank you, those of you who are joining us online. Um, I want to say, be in prayer for the Rogers family today. Uh, Pastor Kyle's wife, Whitney, and their youngest son, Luke, I guess are really sick, and I was already scheduled to preach this morning. And so um, Kyle texted me this morning and said, uh, hey, do you think, what do you think about me just staying home and taking care of my family today? And I said, yes, do it. Take care of your family. So uh, they're probably watching online. Uh, Rogers family, we love you guys, and we're praying for you this morning. But Kyle's been leading us through this series called Worship. It's more than a song. And uh, in week one, he started us off by, with Jesus defining who true worshipers are, who true worshipers are. And basically what we said was, you know, Jesus said, um, true worshipers worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, true worshipers worship with a heart that's fully engaged and with a mind that's properly informed. And that was the first week. Second week, last week, Paul defined for us what true worshipers do. And we saw how, how the Bible says that, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's, God doesn't reside in buildings anymore. He resides in the hearts of his people through the Holy Spirit. And because of that, if we're going to truly worship him, then we've got to say, God, you have authority over every room in this house. Every room in this house you have authority. Every area of my life, God, you are the one in charge. That's what true worshipers do. The Bible says that's ultimately what true worship is. Anybody can sing a song. Well, not anybody. Anybody can make a joyful noise. Let's put it that way. But true worshipers go beyond just singing to God once a, once a month or once a week. True worshipers say, God, everything I have is yours. Every area of my life is yours. So we've talked about the who and we've talked about the what. Today, we're going to talk about the why. We're going to see where Jesus defines why true worshipers worship. So I want you to just fast forward a few days with me. Can you believe Thanksgiving is already here? It's going to be here in just a few days. All right, is it time to get the turkey out yet? I don't, I don't know any of that. It's pretty soon. If you don't have it out yet, you're in trouble. But Thanksgiving is going to be here on Thursday, and I want you to imagine that you're, you're having Thanksgiving dinner, you're gathered around the table with your family. Right now, you're in, you're in your dining room or whatever. If you're watching online, maybe you're in your dining room now, I don't know. But, but you're sitting there around the table, and imagine that there are all these strangers around the walls of your dining room. They're not eating with you. They're not participating in the conversation. They're just there watching and listening. That would be pretty weird, right? I mean, if, if age was in your house for Thanksgiving, you might want him to stand against the wall. I don't know. But that would be pretty weird. Well, in Jesus' day, that wasn't that weird. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was actually kind of common where if, if there were two, it wouldn't happen in just any old house, but if there, were, if there was a, a house where there were two dignitaries or two uh, rabbis who were getting together for lunch or for a meal, uh, it, was, it was common for people to just sort of gather in the room, strangers, who would gather there just to hear the conversation. They wouldn't participate, they wouldn't eat, they would just be in there watching and listening. And so that's the setting where we find Jesus in Luke chapter 7. If you want to open your Bible or your Bible app and turn to Luke chapter 7, this is the setting where we find Jesus. 
And so here's what happens. And, and by the way, this is, there are a lot of things about this story that are really, really weird to us. Like they're really, really different. So I'm going to talk maybe a little more than usual about some of the cultural things that are going on in this story so that we can connect with it and we know what's going on. So what we have is this Pharisee, this religious leader, and his name is Simon. And Simon has invited Jesus to come over to his house and they're going to have one of these dinners and they're going to talk stuff, you know, they're going to talk theological stuff and talk about God and the law and all that. And so we can imagine there are probably people who have gathered around because, I mean, people especially, they wanted to hear Jesus. They wanted to hear what he was going to say. And so there are probably people gathered around the room and they're listening and they're watching. They're not participating. They're just there listening and watching. And in this group of onlookers, there's this woman And I can imagine this woman's heart is beating out of her chest, and her palms are sweaty, and her hands are trembling. Because you see, this woman has come here with some really crazy intentions in mind. She has with her this this alabaster, the Bible calls it an alabaster jar of perfume. Alabaster was just, it was this type of stone material that uh, that they made perfume jars out of. And so she has this alabaster jar of, it says, expensive perfume. And she's standing there and she's listening and her hands are trembling and her heart's beating out of her chest. And she's wondering, should I do this? Should I not do it? Should I do this? Should I not do it? And I can imagine she's going back and forth in her head, and finally, she's just overcome with emotion. And she walks over to Jesus. That was a big no-no. You didn't do that. But she walks over to Jesus, and she falls at his feet, and her tears are falling onto his feet. And now you might, let's pause for a minute. You might be trying to picture that in your head and saying, well, how, how did that work? I mean, if Jesus is at the table and his feet are, so did she crawl under the table? How did that work? Well, their tables weren't like ours, right? Our tables are about waist high and we sit on a chair and so our feet are under the table. But their tables in Jesus' day, in that culture, were really low to the ground. So they would actually sit on the floor, usually on some kind of mat or something like that. They would prop themselves up. Well, here, I've, I've got a picture. They would prop themselves up on their left arm or their left elbow, and they would eat with their right hand. And so you can see where where the person's feet are kind of out away from the table. And so just picture this woman in that scene, in that picture that's there. She's at Jesus' feet, and she's weeping, and her tears are falling on his feet. And then maybe she was embarrassed that she was crying on his feet. And so she does something unthinkable. She lets her hair down and she starts drying his feet with her hair. Now, the reason that that is so unthinkable is that was an absolutely, utterly shameful thing for a woman to do in public. If a married woman let her hair down in public, that was grounds for her husband to divorce her in that culture. Completely, utterly shameful thing for her to do. But you know what? She didn't care. In fact, that's probably the only thing that she had to dry his feet off with. So she lets her hair down and she's drying his feet off. 
And then she takes out that bottle of expensive perfume, that alabaster jar of perfume, and she opens it up and she pours it on his feet. And that's another thing that, that we might think, well, that's kind of weird. Well, it was pretty common, when a, especially when a guest would come into somebody's house, it was common to anoint their head with oil, with olive oil. It was kind of a sign of hospitality and a sign of respect. Something Simon, by the way, didn't do for Jesus, which we learn in the story. But I wonder, maybe this woman didn't feel worthy to anoint his head. Is that why she decided to anoint his feet instead? And she didn't have any olive oil. All she had was this bottle of expensive perfume. It was probably the most valuable thing she owned. It might have even been the only thing she owned besides the clothes on her back. But she was going to worship God. She was going to worship Jesus with whatever she had to worship him with. So this woman has created this this crazy spectacle. I mean, she has made this huge scene of herself. She's been, I'm imagining her ugly crying here, right? I mean, the tears are pouring down. And, now, and she's done this shameful thing with her hair, and she's dried her feet, and she's completely interrupted everything. And the people around her are just in horror. They can't believe what they're saying. And, and on top of all that, to, just to add to this scene, Perfume is now filling. Have you ever been around somebody wearing too much perfume? Don't look around at anybody. Don't point. But you, you've been around somebody, right? With just has just, man, did you take a bath in this stuff? Well, that's, that's now filling the room. And these people can't believe what they're seeing and smelling and hearing. And that includes Simon the host. He's appalled at this spectacle. You see, this woman, just for some clues in the story, this woman was probably a prostitute. And Simon is thinking to himself, the Bible says, he's thinking, does Jesus even know who this is? Does he even know what this woman does? Does he know how shameful this is? He's let, she is sinful and unclean, and, and he's letting her touch his feet like this? That makes him unclean. Who is this guy? Well, Jesus knows what Simon is thinking, and he tells this parable. He says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, and 50 pieces to the other. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, and he canceled their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answers, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, that's right. That's right. The one who had the bigger debt canceled is probably going to be more thankful. See, Jesus is making two points with this parable. I don't don't want you to miss these two points. First point is, I want you to notice that they both had a debt they couldn't pay. See, what Jesus is doing, Simon doesn't get this yet, he doesn't realize it, but what Jesus is doing is he's comparing Simon to the one who only owed 50 pieces. And he's comparing this woman, this sinful, shameful woman, to the one who owes this huge 500-piece debt. But notice, both of them had a debt they couldn't repay. 
Both of them had a debt they couldn't repay. See, sometimes people ask me, is all sin the same? And my answer to that is yes and no. Obviously, the earthly impact, the earthly consequences of all sin is not, is not the same. If I tell a, a lie to somebody, depending on what that lie is, that's probably not going to have the same consequences to me, the same impact as if, say, I had an affair and cheated on Sarah, right? The earthly impact, the earthly consequences of sins, it's not the same. But all sin is the same in this respect, It all separates us from God. It all creates a debt that none of us can repay. So whether your debt's 50 or whether your debt's 500, you can't pay it back. All sin does that. That's the first point that I I want us to understand here. But I want you to notice the second point. This is the wonderful point. This is the glorious point of this parable. Forgiveness is offered to both. It's offered to both. He doesn't say, oh, well, the 50, um, man, that's a smaller debt, so I'm gonna, I'll cancel that debt, but you that owe the 500, you've got no hope, you better keep working. No, that's not what he says. He says he offers to cancel the debt of both. Forgiveness is offered to both. So what he's saying is, you know what, Simon, the more sin that you have in your life, that doesn't mean you have less chance of receiving forgiveness from God. That just means the more grace and mercy and forgiveness that you can experience. And the more grace and mercy and forgiveness that you experience, the more you're going to want to pour your heart out to God in thankfulness and in gratitude for what he's done for you. That's the point that he makes to Simon. So don't look around at somebody else and look down your nose and say, boy, I haven't sinned as bad as this person. At least I haven't done that. Wow. No, 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 no. Doesn't matter. If you've sinned one time in your life, then you have a debt that you cannot repay. And the other side of that coin, don't look at somebody else and say, wow, I haven't sinned, or I've sinned a lot more than they have. They haven't done near the things that I've done. I don't think I could have the forgiveness that they've had. Don't say that either, because forgiveness is offered to both. It is offered to both. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard somebody say, well, I couldn't follow Jesus. I couldn't become a Christian. I've done too much. I've sinned too much. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But God does. And he still offers his grace and his forgiveness. And he still calls out to you and says, come to me. Experience my forgiveness. Experience a relationship with me. doesn't matter how much you've done. It doesn't matter how much you've fallen My forgiveness is there. Well, from that point, Jesus goes on to basically say, you know what, Simon, you haven't even extended to me the basic customs of the day. 
but this woman has gushingly poured her heart out to me in gratitude. Don't you look down your nose at her, Simon. She's done so much more than you've done. And all of your self-righteousness. She has done a far greater thing here than what you've done even by inviting me into your home. And then Jesus says this. I tell you, her sins, and there are many. Don't don't gloss over that. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat that. Jesus doesn't tell Simon, now Simon, you know what? Her sins aren't really that bad. Simon, you're kind of exaggerating her sin. No, he doesn't do that. And that does not make him a hater. Identifying sin does not make you a hater. Jesus actually agrees with Simon on this point. So you're right, Simon, this woman has sinned a lot. There is a lot of sin in this woman's life, Simon. You are right about that. But guess what, Simon? Those many, many sins have been forgiven. And because of that, she has shown much love. And then Jesus turns to this woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. We should note the kind of love that he talks about there. A few weeks ago, Age shared with us, there's many different kinds of love that the Bible talks about. And the kind of love that's used here, it's a, lo- it's, a, it's a love of thankfulness. It's basically gratitude is what Jesus is saying. So in other words, this woman shows this extravagant display of worship because she's so grateful and she's so thankful for the forgiveness that she believed she would find in Jesus, which she did. Her worship, this extravagant display of worship, arose out of, the, out of, great, out of gratefulness for the extravagant forgiveness that she found in Jesus Christ. And that, my friends, is ultimately where true worship comes from. It comes from a heart that is absolutely grateful and thankful for the forgiveness that God has offered us. That is why we worship. Because here's today's principle, because worship is giving God the thanks and praise that he deserves for forgiving our sins. That's what worship is. It's not just coming here on Sundays. It's not just, it's not just lifting our voices in song. All that's important, but ultimately worship is about giving God the thanks and the praise that he deserves for forgiving our sins. It's a response to what God has done for us. Worship is a response to what God has done for us. We don't worship so we can get something from God. We don't worship so we can get a response from God. We don't even worship so that he'll forgive us. No, 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 no. We worship because he has forgiven us. It's a response. And so that leaves me asking some questions. When we get hung up on the style of music, it's too contemporary, it's too traditional, 
this is going on in the room. It's to this, it's to that. Are we even thinking about the forgiveness that God has given us? You see, if worship is just giving God the thanks and the praise that he deserves, then when I make a statement like, I can't worship God to this kind of music, or I can't worship God because the person behind me can't hold a tune in the bucket, I can't worship God because this or this or this, what we're saying is, I can't give God the thanks and the praise that he deserves for forgiving my sins, unless all the stuff around me is how I like it. And then we have ceased to make worship about God, and we've made it about ourselves. And that's no longer worship. So when we make statements like that, are we even thinking about the forgiveness that we have in Christ? Or when we worship, when we gather in here and we worship, and there's no passion and there's no life in our worship, and our our faces are completely expressionless, and our lips are barely moving, and we're worried about, well, what if I raise my hand? What, if, what about what somebody thinks? What if somebody sees my sweat rings if I raise my hands? What if I'm thinking about all this stuff? Are we even thinking about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ? Or when we're thinking to ourselves, I don't, man, my life stinks right now. I don't have any reason to give God thanks and praise right now. Are we even thinking about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ? Because you can take away my family and you can take away my possessions and you can take away my job that I love and you can take away all my homies that I get to work with. You can take away all the good things in my life. But you can never, ever take away the forgiveness that I have in Jesus Christ. Ever. So every single minute of every hour of every day of my entire life, I have reason to give God thanks and praise. Even if everything else in my life stinks, because I have the forgiveness that he offers me in Jesus Christ. And that is why we worship. That is why we worship. So here's our action steps for today. The first one is remember. Remember. We preach all the time. We teach all the time. We say this all the time, rightfully. Don't live in your past. Let go of your past. We should, we should teach that. Don't let what you've done in your past, don't let the shame of your past paralyze you today. Don't let whatever is in your past keep you from being the person that God created you to be today. We teach that a lot. Maybe we need to teach it more. I don't know. But here's the thing. There is value in sometimes looking back. You get in your car and you go home today, you're going to have a big, giant front windshield right? Because seeing what's in front of you is really, really important. But you also have this little, tiny rear view mirror. Because while, yes, it's important, really important to see what's in front of you, it's also important to see at least a little bit of what's behind you. 
So what I'm going to ask you to do today, until today, I've never asked a group of people to do this. I want to ask you, everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes in this room. If you're watching online, close your eyes. Unless you're listening while you're driving, then don't close your eyes. Every eye closed. I want you to spend a few seconds thinking about some of the worst things that you've done in your life. What are the worst sins that you've committed? The worst things that you've said or thought or done? Times you have absolutely hurt somebody? Maybe because of your own selfishness? Every eye still closed. Do you feel the hurt a little bit? Do you feel the pain a little bit of the shame, the guilt? Man, I wish I hadn't done that. Open your eyes and look at the verse on the screen. God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers your sins no more. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then those things that I just asked you to think about and remember are no more. They are gone. They are blotted out. They are wiped out. The Bible uses a metaphor of the sea of forgetfulness. They've been cast into the sea of forgetfulness. They've been cast from you as far away as the east is from the west. In other words, you can't measure it. That's where those sins are. They are gone, forgiven, blotted out. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear me closely when I say that your sins, you're the, all the bad things that I just asked you to think about, they too can be wiped clean and blotted out and forgiven. It doesn't matter how many of those sins there are. It doesn't matter how big those sins are. It doesn't matter. You can be forgiven. God has already done everything he needs to do for that. He has bought the gift. He has bought the salvation with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who took your sin upon himself on the cross. In fact, if Thanksgiving is is this week, that means Christmas is just around the corner. And at some point, we're going to have presents under our tree. And those presents for our boys, they will have been bought and paid for. They belong, those gifts already will, will belong to our boys. But if they never unwrap the gift, they'll never experience the blessing of that gift. Well, in the same way, God has already, he has, he has bought your salvation. He has paid for your forgiveness already. It's there. It's just waiting for you to unwrap it. And the Bible says the way that we unwrap it is we confess our sin to God. In other words, God, I'm a sinner without you. And I need you. And I make no excuses. I don't blame anybody. I'm a sinner and I need you. And then it says, repent of those sins, which means to change directions. I'm walking away from God and towards my sin and selfishness and doing life my own way. And I repent and I start walking away from all that stuff and I start walking towards God. That's repentance. We don't do that to get saved. We don't do that to earn our forgiveness. That's just how we unwrap the gift that God has already provided.
provided for us, bought and paid for with the blood of his son. Every person in this room, every person watching online, you too can receive that forgiveness for your sins. So, now that we've reminded ourselves that we're all sinners, and now that we've reminded ourselves that that God offers forgiveness for all of those sins, the next step should be obvious. Give Him thanks. Give Him thanks. Let your worship arise out of, out of gratitude and thankfulness to God for His forgiveness. Respond to His extravagant mercy and love and forgiveness with extravagant worship. Because worship is giving God the thanks and praise that He deserves for forgiving our sins. That's why true worshipers worship. That's the why. Nothing else should matter. When we worship, nothing else should matter. Style of music should not matter. Whatever else is going on in the room should not matter. The person behind us who can't sing worth a lick shouldn't matter. Whatever's going on in the rest of our... No, think personal, Matt. Whatever's, whatever's going on in our lives shouldn't matter. The only thing that matters when we worship God is that he has forgiven us of our sins. That's why we worship. Would you stand with us? This song that we're going to sing, I couldn't think of a better song to follow this story with. Because this song, it reminds us that, it reminds us of our sin. It uses the imagery of a hammer. It might as well have been your hand and my hand holding the hammer that nailed Jesus to the cross because it was our sin that put him there. It was your sin, your sin, and your sin, and your sin, and yours, and yours, and yours, and mine. So we might as well have had the hammer in our own hands. We are sinners who need God's grace and forgiveness. But this song also reminds us that his extravagant forgiveness is offered to everybody. Worship him today out of gratitude for his forgiveness. If you want to come forward this morning and just kneel at the altar maybe or, or maybe kneel at your seat where you are and just give him the thanks and praise that he deserves. Maybe you'd like to grab one of these prayer cards and pray for them because there are some people, there's some needs on these prayer cards and, and maybe the prayer that we need to pray for them today isn't just for the circumstances that are written there. Maybe we can also pray, God, help them to be able to give you thanks and praise even in the midst of those circumstances because of your forgiveness. And on our two prodigal boards here, I, I think we probably have pushing 700 names now, 700 individuals, not to mention the board that's over at the homestead, maybe eight or 900 individuals who have not yet experienced the extravagant forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to come pray for them. Or if you're here today, and you would say, man, I, have, I, don't, I haven't experienced this forgiveness that you're talking about, and I want to. I want to start a relationship today with Jesus Christ. 
Come talk to me here. Pastor Age is there. Sean and Brooke are right there. You don't have to talk to a, you don't have to have that conversation with a pastor, but we're here if you want to. Let's worship him extravagantly today because of his extravagant forgiveness that he has shown us.